0: Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The text that we've been sharing for the past three weeks comes from the 30th chapter of the book of Proverbs, where we hear these words, starting in verse 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. So far, God's word. Now, as I said before, we are in week number three. Uh, looking at four verses from the book of Proverbs uh, that describe four small yet exceedingly wise creatures. And we've been looking at how we can duplicate that same kind of godly biblical wisdom in our life. If you remember the very first week, we looked at the ant. And we noticed how the ant was always preparing during the summer for when the harvest would come. Last week we looked at the hyrax, which we discovered was either a rock badger or something along those lines, although more related to the elephant or the hippopotamus. And we found out how to survive and even thrive. Today we're going to take a look at the locust. And here's what Agar, uh, he is the man who had said through a, uh, a sayings of Agar, the son of Jacob, an inspired utterance in chapter 30, it says that locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get a mental picture of a locust, I think to myself, hey, you know what? That looks like a grasshopper. And I've got a good point because it turns out that there is no, no consistent taxonomic description between, or distinction between locusts and grasshoppers. Now, every week up to this point, I spent a little bit of time looking at these little creatures uh, and kind of calling out some of their unique uh, qualities. So, what would you consider to be a unique quality of a locust or a grasshopper? Well, one quality is they're edible. Anybody ever raised a grasshopper? I did a long time ago. It was chocolate-covered ate it at the Seward Bowling Alley in Seward, Nebraska. I don't know why, but I did. Uh, Many of them are considered a delicacy in some cultures. Indeed, they are a street snack uh, in certain places. And if you were Jewish, guess what? They're kosher. Now, so one quality stands out a little bit more than that. I I not long ago talked to a, a friend of mine. And he said, I don't know whether or not they're delicacies. He said, but recently when I was in Shanghai, um, I saw fried locusts on the menu. So I want you to keep that in mind as you are preparing this week's uh, lunch or supper menus at home. That'll get a little extra protein into your diet. Now, primarily locusts or grasshoppers are known for their ability the swarm, like a swarm of locusts, a swarm of grasshoppers. They can gather by the millions, and, and they they go as a huge group across huge geographical areas. Now, as a small child going to school uh, for part of my kindergarten years in Denver, Colorado, I had to walk about a half a mile down a dirt road, and there were just grasshoppers all over the place. But it was not a swarm. I've never seen anything. That that quite looks like that. Now, a locust swarm can be as it cover as much as 460 square miles in size. It can pack in as many as 8 million locusts into each square mile. Each locust can eat its own weight in plants every day. So a swarm uh, could eat. Uh, of such size could eat uh, 423 million pounds of plants a day, which is slightly less than what some of the people who eat at our house eat when we invite them over. <laughs> so I say the, the locust, the grasshopper, is famous for its ability to swarm. That's why I think Solomon called them wise. He said even though they have no leader, they are able to move together as one. Now, something very interesting I noticed while I was studying the text and preparing for this message is that many commentaries uh, really struggle with this no-leadership idea. Some even try to twist Solomon's or Ager's statement into an appeal for leadership. Now, I kind of understand the struggle because I I know how essential leadership is. In fact, I've written a whole book on the leadership styles of Nehemiah. Because we need leadership. We cannot survive without leadership. And the church's need today, I, I would suggest to you, is for committed and dedicated people to stand up and say, I will lead the charge and seeing that this project or this mission or whatever is done, and I will see to it all the way through its completion. Now, we definitely need leadership in the church, and that will never, ever change. And maybe that's also a human weakness. Now, Solomon is saying that if you are the kind of person, or Agur seems to be saying that if you're the kind of person who can do what needs to be done, who will work together with other people in unity, without needing to be pushed or prodded or begged or having to have your name imprinted on the pew in which you sit, uh, then maybe that's okay. If you can just do what needs to be done in partnership with other people, then you are truly wise indeed. But today I want to talk about how we can build on that quality, because even though they move together as one with no leader, I think there's even something better. And we're going to find out towards the tail end of this message. I want to talk about three areas, and here's the first thing I want you to consider, and that's, let, let's not kid ourselves about being independent. Now, we, can, we all consider ourselves to be pretty independent. In fact, George Barna, who is a church uh, researcher, said that 95 percent of all Americans consider themselves to be independent thinkers. I have a hard time with that, because some of them are Republicans and some of them are Democrats and some of them are libertarians, and who knows what else they might be. I mean, people often insist, I'm my own person. I am who I am. I mean, nobody tells me what to think. Nobody tells me what to do. And yet this same person will have the identical hairstyle and clothing style and music preferences of everyone else in his or her group. When we lived in Hong Kong, uh, because we were in a British colony, we adopted uniforms in our school. It was really kind of nice. Our kids wore uniforms every day to school. But every once in a while, they would announce free dress day. And guess what? All the kids showed up wearing the identical same clothes. Jeans and t-shirts. It was still a uniform. Now, more often than not, people who think of themselves as being independent thinkers look and talk and act just like everybody else that they hang around with. And more often than not, they don't have very close friendships with anybody who really looks different or acts different or dresses different than they do. Now, you could say that about kids in grade school. You can say that about kids in high school and college. But you can also say that about people in Ladies Aid, LWML, <laughs> Women's Bible Studies, or old men spit and whittle clubs that meet virtually every morning at a coffee shop somewhere. Everybody seems to fit into one or two identifiable social circles. And we tend to act like those people with whom we most identify. Now, if you're sitting there right now and thinking to yourself, well, maybe everybody else is that way, but not me. uh, You're probably kidding yourself. I mean, none of us is completely and truly 100% independent, not in the way we think, not in the way we behave. We are all part of a group, of one kind or another. And so our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs and our opinions are all influenced by other people. And this only makes sense because this is the way God hardwired us to live. We talked about this last week when I introduced that word koinonia, koinonia. We were meant to band together with people of a like mind in a fellowship. You Remember, two fellows on the same ship, people going in the same direction for the same reason. But back in the year 270 A.D., uh, a man by the name of Anthony the Great heard a sermon that inspired him to sell all of his worldly possessions, give all of his money to the poor, and escape out to the desert. And this started a movement uh, where thousands upon thousands of people also fled to the desert to live in solitude, so many people fled out to the desert, it said, that when historians said it was actually kind of hard to find a place of solitude out in the desert anymore. See, the problem is not escaping to the desert. And believe me, I've wanted to do it different times. Just get out there, be alone. Uh, get away from everything. But the problem is that that whole idea is not how God created us. God created us to live in connection with one another, whether they're called families or whether we call them churches or whatever. And in the church, he's, he says, you need to gather together. Don't forsake the assembly of gathering together, he says. I know a lot of people say, well, I can worship God on the golf course. Every time I've heard that, I go, yeah, you probably can, but do you? You may use God's name occasionally on the golf course, but I have a feeling it's not in a worshipful tone. (laughs) Or I worship out on my boat. Uh, Yeah, but do you? Well, God bless you if you do, but the Bible still says, do not forsake the assembling together. We were meant to be a koinonia-type group. Uh, There's another story I read about another monk who uh, told uh, his fellow monk, uh, to, he planned to shut himself in his room and cut off all human contact so that he might perfect himself. Now, the second monk said, in effect, if you can't be the kind of person you should be while living with other people, you'll never become a better person by living all by yourself. Now, that brings me to the second point here. And it's, it's inevitable that you're going to be a part of a group. And if so, get with a group that's going places. I remember when I was confirmed, and uh, I knelt in front of the altar in front of Pastor Heidemann, who put his hand on my butch-waxed flat top, and he repeated Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 over my head, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And I thought, I think he's talking about my friends. (laughs) Now, Nancy knows as well as I do that I was part of a group of people uh, in grade school and high school and even in college that were affectionately and not so affectionately called the Rat Pack. In fact, one professor one time told me, all you are is a gangster. That's all you are. That's all you'll ever be. You're just like your father, who, by the way, was in prison at that time. He was right, by the way. If you're going to be part of a group, you better know where that group is going. All I'm saying is you need to choose carefully who you identify with. Take a look at the group you're in and evaluate their influence. I can tell you that of the 6,200 guys that are serving an average 88-year sentence in Angola prison, the reason many of them were there is because they were hanging out with the wrong people. Now the really cool thing is they get to hang out with Christians, albeit in prison. At least a small portion of them can See the fact is that every group to which you belong plays a small role in determining how you act. And you know there's a there's a large there's a danger when large numbers of people unite. It's a danger sometimes we need to look out for. It's a danger of this what we call a hive mind, the danger of group think. And, you know, regardless of what you think, we probably had an example of that in these past weeks in Ferguson, Missouri. When people are strongly connected to one group or another, they will sometimes do things that they will not normally otherwise ever do. Did it ever happen to you growing up, part of a group, grade school, high school, did something really stupid? And you thought afterwards, what on earth was I thinking? Well, the answer was, you weren't thinking nothing. Or if you were doing any thinking, it was called stinking thinking. You yeah, it's a wonderful thing, though, when groups actually come together. I mean, let's all pitch together and let's help this family out. Or let's all pitch in and let's support this missionary. Or let's all pitch in money together and let's supply Spanish Bibles to inmates at Angola, or let's all kind of clean up this particular neighborhood, or we're going to have a work day at the church. Let's all pitch in and let's come and let's work together. These are good things that show the power of group thinking and moving as one. But there are some groups that can also turn downright mean. And some of you have already figured this out In, in the workplace. People who are not racist at home often take on racist attitudes when they're with the wrong group of people, when they're hanging out with their racist friends. People who aren't violent when they're alone sometimes are capable of violent actions when they're with a group of people who are prone to violence. Now, I've seen that kind of hive mind in political groups, there's no doubt about it. I've seen it in PTA meetings. And sadly, I've even seen that in churches. It's an easy trap to fall into. And I'm just saying, stay away from groups that have that tendency. If you're in a group that isn't good for you, the best thing for you to do is get out of it and get away from it. Now, it's not easy for me to say this. I'm going to tell you that. be honest. It's not easy for me to say this because the leader in me wants to say, if you're in a group that's moving in the wrong direction, stand up, be an agent of change, and change that thing. Well, I'll tell you, there are some groups, some groups that are just right right for a qualified leader to take over and guide them in a new direction. But not every group is that way. Some groups, I don't care whether Jesus came back and wanted to be their pastor, they wouldn't change. There are groups that are best to avoid and best to abandon. Jesus gave us some interesting advice in Matthew 9. He said, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. And then he went on to say, Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, like I said before, I've seen this happen in churches. Churches that can become so set in their ways, so determined to be what they've always been. You know, the seven last words of the church, we've always done it this way before. They're so determined never to yield to any kind of new ideas that they eventually become like old wineskins, old cloth, and they begin to use their, lose their usefulness. Now, I'll be, I'll be real honest with you, friends. You know, Nancy and I have been out here with you for a year. I would absolutely hate to ever see this that happen in this church. And I pray that it would never happen here. That instead of always saying, oh, this is what we've always done before, that we would use some of the seven first words in the churches, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can be open to new things that God wants to do. So you kind of need to practice discernment sometime with the group you're in. I mean, there are some questions you need to ask yourself. And I would say these would be whether you joined a new church or whether you joined a new group or whatever. One of them is, is this group uh, going somewhere good? Are they moving in the right direction? I mean, does this group exhibit holy qualities when the members come together? I mean, does this group value each member individually or, or do we only value the group? You know, sometimes we value a big group, but we don't value individual members in that group. I mean, is this group promoting um, um, unity among the members, or are they just trying to push people into adopting what we call a hive mind, where we all have to think the same way? And the bottom line, of course, is you ultimately need to ask yourself, am I a better person? Am I a better person for being part of this group? If you can't respond with a loud yes, Maybe you need to go find another group. Now, there's a third part to this, and that is build your relationships on common ground. Now, how many of you were born in Texas? Okay, how many of you have basically been raised in Texas most of your life? Okay. Well, if you lived in Texas most of your life, you have a historic football tradition. It's the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, I see the hookums out there. My daughter's one of those. She lives in a house I own. The only rule I have is I don't want to see any of that stuff on the outside of that house. Well, you know, it's a team, though, that has been led to greatness by a whole variety of really good coaches over the years, like Daryl Royal or Mac Brown, and I imagine a lot of people are hoping to be Charlie Strong. Uh, but they're not as excited as these other people. Why? Because they have a whole lot of different allegiances. I mean, their team may be Texas A&M, you know, the Gigam Boys, you know, or maybe Baylor, or maybe they're Texas Tech, uh, or maybe they're TCU, or uh, like where my grandson graduated from, the University of North Texas. You know, and when I see this, I sometimes wonder, as big a football fan as I am, why can't people all just get along? Why can't we just be proud of our football tradition and root for all teams? But you can't. But I gotta tell you something, I was actually unfriended by someone I went to school with because I put this logo on my Facebook cover. But of course, this is the best team. (laughs) Now, this, (laughs) go big red. Uh, This applies to things much more important than sports, I gotta tell you that. We especially need to learn how to do this with other Christians. Now, we may have big theological differences. And those differences may be worthy of debate. But if we can agree on a fundamental truth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus suffered and died for the forgiveness of our sins, then we need to unite on the basis, at least on that common ground. John Wesley, part of the founder of the Methodist Church, said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? And then he added, if your heart is as my heart, then take my hand. See, it comes down to this question. We need to ask ourselves and those people we are with, what good can we do together? And I'm asking that this morning as a church. What good can we do together? Can you imagine if every family in America were asked that question? What good can we actually do together for the kingdom of God? I mean, what if every church asked that question? What good could we possibly do for the kingdom of God? I mean, instead of talking about how wrong every other denomination is, or how bad every other church is, we just said, what good can we do together? Or what if several churches actually banded together and said, what can we do together? You know, coming up sometime in September October, there is a little movement here in Mineral Wells where a whole bunch of churches are getting together to say, what can we do as a Christian church to improve this area? So the good news is there are many examples in this world of Christians working together to build hospitals. To preach the gospel, to help people who are suffering, it's happening all over the world, and it's happening in our community, this community, it's happening in my community where Nancy and I live, and it needs to happen a little bit more. It needs to define the way that you and I think and the way that we interact with other people. Now, I'm all about leadership, but there are times when leadership absolutely probably isn't necessary. There are times we ought to just be able to look at each other and kind of nod in agreement and say, yeah, we need to do this. And move together. We don't need a Pied Piper. Now, every group that you're a part of, teaching group, whether you belong to a quilting group, whether it's just a bunch of old farmers who sit and swap lies or stories, uh, uh, you know, early in the morning or or whatever, you know, you've got this amazing potential to swarm. Like the locust, you've got the amazing potential to devour everything in your path. But let's remember, you also have the potential to do things that destroy. See, we have the potential to unite with one another and say, what good can we do together? We have the ability to kind of swarm the community with the love of Jesus Christ. Now think about this. If the locusts can be unified and united without a king, remember I said there was something a little different at the end, they moved together without a king, how much more could people do with a king? And just who is our king? Do you all have a king? I got a king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, the wise men came to Herod and said, We are looking for him who was born, what? King of the Jews. Jesus came into this world to be called King Jesus. In Matthew 27, 37, when Jesus was crucified, they hung a signboard over him that said, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. He was born a king, he died a king. In First Timothy chapter 6, it tells us that Christ will be revealed from heaven by God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, the New Testament tells us who our king is. He is Jesus the Christ. Now, if he's our king, that's why Acts 2.44 says, And all who believed, all who adhered or trusted and relied on Jesus the Christ were united together, They had everything in common, and guess what? They were a devouring group of people when they worked together for the cause of Christ. And may I suggest that this may have been one of the last times in the history of the church that all believers actually agreed on anything. That's the sad thing. Throughout the remainder of the New Testament, what do you see? After they all were together under one king, they suddenly decided that they couldn't get along with other what? Christians. As history of regress, what do we see? We see more and more people becoming Christians who become more and more interested in divisions and divisions and divisions. There are more denominations, more sects, more gathering today, each proclaiming to be Christian than any other time in history. Over 41,000 of them at last report, 29 versions of Lutherans', for heaven's sakes. Even Lutherans can't get along with each other. I think they've forgotten who their king is. See, we need to realize that although we are different, we're different. We serve one king. We serve King Jesus. We are loyal to one God. And our primary, primary loyalty has to be to God and the kingdom of God. And if you and I are loyal to the kingdom of God, then our priority is winning people to that kingdom of God and not to our own little kingdom or our own little division or our own little sect or our own little denomination. That means we can't just be trying to protect our interests. We need to be concerned about God's interest. Do you ever start out by asking that question? I wonder what God would want us to do. You ever been in a church meeting where... Uh, you say to the pastor, Pastor, you say a quick prayer so we can get down to business. You ever been in a meeting like that? I have. I just look at people and I go, what do you mean quick prayer? Or, why don't you have a prayer so we can actually get down to the business of the church? Well, praying is the business of the church. That's why many elders have said, Pastor, there's never, there's never any, there's no fun arguing with you. You're forever bringing the Bible into it. <laughs> That's okay. We need to be concerned about God's interest. And as far as I can tell, the Great Commission seems to be his interest to make disciples of all nations. I mean, he tells pastors, equip and encourage people to do works of service. And those works of service are what? Take the gospel into all nations. Unity, unity is one of the greatest weapons the church has against the desires and the designs of the devil. In Colossians 2, it says the church, God's people... Those gathered under the King of Kings need to be knit together in love. I mean, could you honestly say to everyone here today, I love you. We're unified in that. It's not just that we love God, but we also love one another. We are bound, knit together in love. Ephesians 4 says, it it talks about having the unity of the Spirit. You know, we may not all look the same, sound the same, or whatever, but we can have unity in the Spirit. If you are a Christ follower, if you consider yourself to be a Christian today, guess what? You have that same Spirit living in you that I do. And that person sitting next to you, in front of you, back of you, or probably even that Christian person who goes to a different place on a Sunday morning who has the Spirit living in you. Ephesians 4.13 talks about the unity of the faith. Those of you who read your Bibles a lot, in John chapter 17, uh, there is a prayer that is called the High Priestly Prayer. It's the longest prayer in the Bible. It's a prayer of Jesus. And in this prayer, Jesus prays this, starting at verse 23. I in them and you in me, in order that they may become one and perfectly united, that the world may know, And definitely recognize that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. See, Jesus, our king, prayed for unity. Following King Jesus, uh, we should at least be able to advance together like locusts who have no king. I mean, if we unite under him, guess what, friends? There is no power in heaven or in hell that can stop the army of the living God. United we stand, divided we fall, but only when the devil can separate us from our king. I end with this comment by Billy Graham. He said, churchgoers are like coals in a fire. When they cling together, they keep the flame aglow. When they separate, they die out. May God bless us as we flame on. Let's stand for our closing blessing and our closing song.